Please be seated. I want to begin with a moment of personal privilege to say that I just recently returned from a three-month sabbatical and that in my absence I am extremely grateful for the leadership and care provided by Amy, by the entire staff, by the wardens and the vestry, and to say that the sabbatical was wonderful. I feel rested, I feel refreshed and rejuvenated, my heart is full, and the highlights, six days on the island of Iona off the west coast of Scotland, Evensong in Durham Cathedral, walking through the Yorkshire Dales, the birth of another grandchild, and a lot of writing and reflecting along the way. And I'm eager to share more stories, and I'm eager to hear your stories about what you've been up to and what God has been up to in your life. I'd now like to attend to what God may be saying to us today, so let us pray. Christ our Savior, open our hearts and our minds this day. Teach us what you alone know we each need to hear. Turn our hearts, shape our lives, that we may live your love. Amen. And I needed to start with a prayer, well, because I always need to recenter myself in God's presence. And because after hearing today's gospel, I think I'd think twice before inviting Jesus to my house for supper, because he just might spoil the party. A Pharisee invited Jesus, and given that Pharisees were religious and civic leaders, we can picture a fairly swell crowd, intellectuals, dignitaries, the upper echelon. The guests arrived, gathered on the terrace, greeted one another, chatted amiably. A steward offered a glass of wine, a canapé. But as they moved into the dining room, Jesus, a visiting rabbi of some renown, challenged the seating arrangement, pointed a finger, and called out those who were jostling to sit near the host or near other choice guests. He said it was a story about guests at a wedding, but they knew he was speaking to them. Ouch. It's not just awkward. It's rude. Jesus continued, and look at who's here. It's all the local hotshots who've no doubt been invited because of what they each can give in return, the connections, referrals, prestige, glitter. You really ought to have invited those who've never had a feast like this. The guy outside on the sidewalk, the one just recently paroled, the mom and her kids from the shelter, the hungry, the destitute. If I'd been a guest that night, I imagine I might have gone home with a hot swirl of different feelings. On one hand, hurt, 
but indignant, upset, fueled with a pinch of shame. I care for the poor. But here, now, questioning who invites whom to their own dinner party? I don't like being called out. I don't think any of us do. It's hard to have my inclinations and biases revealed, especially when my motives are indeed a little bit self-serving, even if I hadn't really been thinking it that way. As I sat with Jesus' words, I might realize that he wasn't really asking me to do something heroic or costly or be a saint or anything. All he really asked is that I mix it up a little bit when I invite people for supper, that I sit down and break bread with folks who aren't from my side of the tracks, with those who don't have much to eat. He didn't even say do it every night, just give it a try. And I think Jesus' teaching here is disarmingly simple and straightforward. It's physical. The life and love we're called to embody takes place in and through what we do with our bodies. If we act different, the world will look different, cross boundaries, move from our own places of comfort or safe distance or societal expectation to places of closeness, of proximity, of relationship. For decades, Father Gregory Boyle has been working with gang members in L.A. He concludes, the strategy of Jesus is not centered in taking the right stand on issues but rather in standing in the right place with the outcast, with those who are relegated to the margins. Supper was important to Jesus. He talked about it a lot. From Jesus' perspective, when we share a meal with people, it gives us a pretty good look at the life God intends for us. For Jesus, supper is a foretaste of what is to come, a foretaste of the fellowship God intends, of the beloved community. So I invite you to take a moment now and call to mind the various supper tables you've shared during the course of your life. The table at your grandparents' house with family or at a school cafeteria, laughing easily with friends or awkward with the treachery of school dynamics. Maybe around a campfire with sounds and smells of the wild. Or as a guest in a foreign country with foreign food, foreign language. At a conference center with colleagues from work with our neighbors sharing lunch in the water ministry, in your own kitchen last night, around the different altars where you've been fed with bread and wine, with body and blood. And when it's up to you, who do you invite into your life? Who do you make time for to get to know and to what end? 
The tables we share and the company we keep when we gather for a meal shapes the values we embrace and the values we live out in our lives. And you need to know that I'm preaching here to myself because I struggle with the fact that it's easy for me to do my job and hardly ever leave this bucolic neighborhood of Tenley Town. Whoever you are, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith, you're welcome at Christ's table. I've shared, I've served with six different churches in my ministry, and each one, this teaching was at the heart. And in one, we, we hosted a shelter. We ate supper each winter night with those who were homeless. In another, we invited our neighbors on Saturday mornings, and we cooked breakfast together. In another, we offered groceries out of a cupboard and with fresh produce, and hundreds came. We saw it as one of our principal services. All through the summer, several of you have been serving lunch through our water ministry. Beginning September 14th, every Wednesday this fall, we're going to host a community supper here in the Great Hall. And I hope you'll come. I hope you'll invite a friend. I hope you'll invite a neighbor. And I hope you'll bring someone who might not be able to repay your hospitality. I'm so glad we're doing this. And I'm so glad we're doing the work out on the front corner here, because if we take ourselves out there, who knows who we might meet? Says Rabbi Joachim Prince, Neighbor is not a geographic term, it's a moral concept. This is not only about us doing good for someone else, it's about us putting ourselves in the place where we might be open to receive the good someone else, someone unexpected, offers to us. For as we heard in the letter to the Hebrews, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels unaware. I don't know why Jesus called them out the way he did at their dinner party, such an awkward way. I can only imagine that those Pharisees and their guests were stuck and blind to their own behavior. Sometimes we need Jesus or someone close to us who loves us through and through to, to bring us to our senses. Or again, I'll speak for myself. I know I do. So I wonder if there's a step you can take this week, something you can do to cross a boundary. Each week, each day, we have the opportunity to choose what's ultimately between two paths. On one, we ask ourselves, what do I need? And if my needs are met, I'm well, and all is well. But eventually, that path leads to the false promise of personal salvation, the absurd notion that somehow salvation is just between God and me. Or I can turn to you. I can turn to my neighbor, to those I love, to those I'm invited to love, and ask, how are you? Is all well for you? On this path, if you are well, indeed, if all are well, then and only then I'm well. 
for until all our needs are met, until you're fed too, we're all at the table. It's not yet salvation. Today and in all of Jesus' supper teaching, he says, take a step on the path that begins not with me. Take a step on the path that begins with your neighbor. Let's see what step we each can take this week. Amen.